Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all listening, enjoying. It is yet another wonderful day sitting in the same office in my house. Uh, the kids are out playing in the yard. Uh, we had to send the dog away because the dog was barking and uh, I'm... Uh, Hopefully doing what a lot of other people are doing, and that's staying home and staying safe. So uh, today I'm really lucky to reach out to a friend that I've, I've wanted to get on the, on the podcast for quite a while because I think that he is an amazing programmer and designer, and I've always wanted to kind of emulate him in so many ways because I always stumble across somebody else who is just bragging about how they, they just got a macro from him or they got to sit behind him during a, a show and they're like, oh my God, the things this guy is doing are so amazing. So I hope I haven't uh, built you up too much and, uh, and stroked your ego too much, but I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Today I've got Andrew Giffen. He is a lighting designer and programmer for GIFLD out of Pittsburgh. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show today, Giff. Hey, Chris. Uh, it's an honor to be here, especially in the virtual company of some very illustrious and interesting guests that you've had on here already. It's been very fascinating to listen to, by the way. In fact, I can't decide whether I most enjoy listening to the ones from people I know well or from the ones that I've never met. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my very best to kind of bounce back and forth between all of the different snapshots of the industry from up and coming to well-established to architecture to rock and roll to theater. It's uh, there's no shortage of people willing to sit and chat for an hour these days. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished so far. Hope I can contribute. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so the reason I wanted to reach out to you is because your thumbprint is on so many consoles that I come across. And a lot of times I'll ask somebody like, wow, how did you come up with that? And they, sometimes they'll give me an answer and then I'll, I'll look deeper and then I'll be like, you got this from GIF. And I can tell because it just has your GIFness all over it. There's the, the <laughs> way you write stuff, the way you program, it's undeniably GIF. And I kind of wanted to reach out to see like how you feel about that and how you, you've been in this this for so long, you've helped out so many people, and you've also taken input from so many people that your style is recognizable. And it's being spread far and wide in an open source design world and a programming world. Do you ever reap the benefits from that? Or do, do you ever, is there any repercussions from that? Uh, so like to start off with, like you, you're well known for some very intricate macros that, that make it into other people's show files. How do you feel about that? 
honored, flattered, I guess, happy to help. No, there's no, uh, there's no downside that I could see. We, we're in a, a small community. In fact, I think it was even smaller uh, in, in the earlier days. And, and maybe the reason that some of my work has made it out into the world was just because I was such an early adopter of the, the MA2 platform made a what was in hindsight maybe a silly decision to take ma2 out in ma2 mode on a fish tour before the the software was probably ready to handle that so a lot a lot of the macro writing came from needing the console to have functionality that it didn't have yet at that point so i think i got i got good at doing that early there are instead of waiting for them to fix things you just fixed it yourself you're like you guys i don't have time i'm i'm gonna figure this out I think that's the great part about those consoles is they're so flexible that, that you, you can build your own solutions for things. If and, I remember, you had some of the very early uh, serial numbers even. Yeah, Grandma 2 Lite serial number one was wow. mine from a, a very early day. It was my previous console forever. Just sold it recently. It was actually kind of sad to see it go. Oh, that must have been a moment. It was. It was still in great shape, too, because I never toured with it or anything. It was always home previs desk. Okay. I think serial so number two might have been beat up. That probably wasn't the console that, that you, you would want to purchase, but one was in pretty good shape. Right on. That's, a, that's, a, that's an accomplishment in all on its own right there. So, so fill me in on what, you, what led you to have to start really making huge macros for the console necessity. I don't, I really don't think I'm one of those people, at least I hope not, that writes things just for fun because they have, they have lots of time to do that. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm fortunate to work with a very improvisational band in Fish. They're constantly pushing the envelope of, of what's possible uh, with their performances and designer Chris Carota and I have to be able to keep up with that. That means we're always coming up with new ideas of how to use the console and how to build the physical interface of the console in a way that makes sense to be able to keep up musically during the show. And, and that means using it in unconventional ways. So when we'd come up with some crazy idea in previs, we'd stop and say, okay, now let's figure out how to make the console do that. And sometimes it would take a lot of time. We're fortunate to have a lot of time in previs every time we send a tour out. Because we, we plan it that way, specifically so that we can stop and say, even if this takes a while, give me a chance to figure it out and, and maybe it's useful during the show. A lot of times it is. It's not that you were seeking to make overly complicated macros and make the console do more than it's supposed to. It's that because of the structure of the band and the music, it was born out of necessity that you say, okay, well, if we're going to do that, the console needs this amount of functionality and I it currently, there's no one button that does that. So I need to create that button. Exactly. So you need yeah, a button that's, that's going to dump 95 pages of shows or of, of songs because they decided to switch to another song. So you need a, a button that does that. Yep. The most recent example is just a feature that flat out doesn't exist. Some listeners are not familiar. Our, our most recent tour involves a lot of moving objects. Almost all the lighting trusses are moving all the time. Some of them as, as short as five foot sections of it. And we're using the XYZ coordinate functionality of the console to be able to keep lights focused on the band when the trusses are moving. But the aesthetic of the show dictates that those same lights need to be able to break out of a coordinate on the stage and then fly out over the audience at any given time. 
and then also be able to do the reverse and get back to the stage smoothly. And the console just didn't have the functionality of smoothly transitioning from one type of position preset to another. So I had to make it. And now that's part of our world and it, and it works well. It took a long time to get it to that point. And oh, we're, we're very happy with the results. But again, that wasn't something that just said, well, wouldn't it be cool if the console could do this? It's like, no, we needed it to do that. So I had to figure it out, period. So otherwise you'd be building XYZ coordinates for, for the entire audience and for everything. You'd have to really be... And that, and that would never work. We thought about that for a minute, but it, it, that was never going to be an option because, right. of how, because of how precise we like to be with where the beams of light intersect in the air and such, that wasn't going to fly, literally. So on top of being able to control the lights, paying attention to XYZ stuff, you had to completely be able to switch them over to break out of XYZ just to do a value. So just to do something very simple, you had to get far more complicated than you had expected. It was the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes that I didn't expect going into that process, but something we had to overcome. Clearly you had to spend hours and emails and phone calls to see if there was different ways to do this and you had to figure out the right way or even the best way to make this happen. Yes. And so now that's your time was paid for, for doing that. And that now belongs to that show file. That macro is part of that show file. Mm -hmm. If somebody were to come and ask you like, hey, GIF, how did you do that? Would you give them the macro and then let them reverse engineer it? Or would you happily explain the whole process? The, the latter. In fact, I've done it many, many times. I feel like that's... Uh something we should all do in, in this business is uh, show somebody what we've done if they're interested in it or if they need to do it and explain to them how it works, but let them build it on their own. I've never, okay. I don't think I've ever given somebody a whole show file and said, here, you figure it out. But if you want to talk to me on the phone and, and we'll go through it, then absolutely. Okay. Because Are I, you a I'm, I'm going to need to do the same thing with somebody else later. I do it all the time phone a friend when I have a question about something I don't know much about. Mm -hmm. And that's important that we support each other that way. So you're, you're completely embracing the open source uh, protocols of the console and the, the training then? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by open source protocols. Uh, the fact that the MA share and uh, fixture share, where you can go no, and like, hey, you guys, uh, I don't like the way this uh, media server is controlled, so I changed it and you can have it. I actually don't participate much on those, um, and maybe I should. But uh, again, on a on a personal level, I'm always happy to pick up the phone and help somebody out. Okay. Mostly because so many other people are happy to pick up the phone and talk to me when when I'm trying to do something that they have spent countless hours trying to wrap their head around. It is very very important to have those uh, those phone friends open and available. I know that you've been on the receiving end of many of mine. The most recent time I remember was trying to be able to kill MIDI in and out in a single queue because we needed to be able to take MIDI input unless somebody kept hitting the button because that, that kept triggering the same queue over like, hey, how do I trigger it so that when they hit the, the MIDI button first, it disables it because, man, people love hitting buttons. 
Don't we all? Yeah. Our, ourselves included. So the deal was the judge had to hit the MIDI button and that released a chair, but they kept hitting the button out of excitement, which would just re-trigger the, the, the beginning of the chair move. And then they ended up ramming the chair into the bottom. So we had to, I had to reach out to GIF to figure out how to kill MIDI in the same button. Thank you so much for being on the receiving end of that, that phone no a friend. I would imagine that that's the thing that you and I, we used to rely on Aaron Altmark to do, but until Aaron was like, hey, you guys, I, I charge for that now. I'm not sitting in Agora Hills anymore, you guys. When it comes to stuff like that, you're, it sounds like you're perfectly willing and able to describe it over the phone. Do you ever get, are you ever willing to like actually go on TeamViewer and like help somebody else out? Are you willing to go that far? I would be. I don't think it's ever come to that with any of my friends, but absolutely I would be. I'm actually hoping to get into some of that while we're all stuck at home. If this goes on for, for much longer, hopefully on the, on the receiving end, because I've got a few friends that have offered to help me with specific skills that they have and other things that I think maybe I should be developing while I have the time and uh, they're going to require some, some screen sharing to do. So yeah, of course. Are you, do you think that's a, a reality in the future where you'll be sitting at home and team viewing into another console as far away as, let's say, you're in Pittsburgh and I'm in Canada and I need you to team view into my console? I already do it. Actually, have been for years. Um, give you a specific example. It's actually an architectural project in Atlanta. It's the College Football Hall of Fame building. It has a, a really fancy glass facade. runs basically the length of a city block. If you've never seen it, it's pretty cool. It's got tens of thousands of Martin VC dots in it. Sometimes we control as uh, lighting. Sometimes we control as uh, media through a media server. Justin Garone and I started that project and uh, Kevin Swank, oh man, it was a few years ago. Uh, TeamViewer was a relatively new concept at that point, but we, we all live in different cities. None of us are in Atlanta. And we, we realized that would be, we'd have to be able to make changes to the building programming remotely. So the building convinced the hotel across the street to let them set up a webcam on the hotel across the street. The webcam shoots at the building. We can see live what we're doing and actually reprogram the, the facade remotely. And that's through wow. TeamViewer. Yeah. So they don't need to hire a local programmer to come and update because they know that you can just do it remotely. Correct. In fact, we took it a step further and made it so that the most basic updates, the, oh, we want to change the color palette for a holiday or for a corporate sponsor, or we want to scroll some text across it to welcome a team that's coming to the Hall of Fame. We made it so that any of those sort of edits can be done by, by a non-lighting savvy person, a, a building manager from their iPad can get on TeamViewer, easily see a custom layout view that we built in MA on PC and poke around in this layout view of this interface that allows them to control the facade uh, at any, any time they want to make those sort of basic changes within the, within the design structure that we already established. Like we, we won't let them do ugly things like put black text on a black background. Uh, we won't let them break the, the very clever random pattern we have of the, the window panes changing color over time. They can choose what the new colors will be, but the ratio of those colors and the pattern that they play in the windows is dictated by the existing programming. 
and it, it's all really simple for the the end user. And again, Team Viewer been working nonstop for for several years now. So it's it's it sounds overly complicated for you to make it simple for them. It sounds like you are the you're the complex gears behind behind the touch panel. It sounds like it took you a lot of time to put that all together. It did, but it's totally worth it for being able to change the look of the facade in an instant. I mean, totally worth okay. the effort. So do you think that we're going to be able to take that to the next level to where you're running a show from your living room? Nothing with music, I don't think. I, I, I just think even with good internet connections that we have now, there's even a little bit of latency between you and I speaking on this this call right now. Mm-hmm. So when we pride ourselves on our timing musically, <laughs> how would how would we ever be able to do that over the internet, even with a small amount of latency? And it's it's just dangerous. What happens if something happens to the, the connection? I just, I can't see that working well in a live environment. For programming, sure, but I, I, I can't see running a show that that uh, it's probably a few years off, maybe, maybe that maybe it's we'll see. maybe it's better we don't open that Pandora's box for for no, some no, time. You, you had mentioned that maybe we'll look back on these podcasts in a few years uh, and and have some laughs, <laughs> over them. Maybe some of these these <laughs> predictions will prove to be ridiculous, and and that might be one of them. We might all be working from home, but we'll see. Well, if uh, if GIF and Chris from ten years from now are listening right now. We didn't know. We didn't know that the high-speed internets were going to be so fast that we were going to be running shows from from our living rooms. And so, reliable. Yeah, we didn't know. That actually touches on another subject I want to talk to you about. It's just how many things are getting put on consoles these days. It used to just be lighting. Then it was lighting and, and smoke. And then lighting, video automation, and video. Yeah. And now it's automation. It's Some people are even doing pyro and thanks to time coding, when things need to be balls on accurate, things just keep getting piled on. What's right. the process for you when somebody tries to add something to your console and you're like, hey, that, that does or doesn't belong here? I guess it's back to the same question of, uh, with the uh, macros. It's driven by necessity. Like, is this necessary to make the show play properly or is there a better and safer way to do it with independent control systems? I'm personally a fan of programming everything separately, especially because there's tremendous time pressure on most projects that we work on. So you've got a bunch of people at their respective consoles programming. And then if you can merge it all in later and have that triggered by by time code, that's probably okay. I have a funny story about special effects that I, I never want to run live. Never, never, never. Somebody told me they were putting the, the, they wanted me to put the confetti on the console. I said, okay, give me the DMX numbers. I put it in, made myself a nice system to lock it out so that I couldn't trigger it early. But I was under the assumption the whole time that they were confetti rollers so that when I ran the queue, they would just sort of slowly start spewing confetti everywhere. Instead, they were the the high powered jets that just go kaboom and, uh, oh. and shoot off in one go. So I'm listening to the show caller, they confetti standby. I disarm it in my console. I hit the button when she said go and literally fell out of my chair. <laughs> I heard the noise. <laughs> but it, it was it was sort of fast paced the whole thing and nobody ever really explained to me what I had connected to. All they told me was it was confetti and it would go off when I opened a certain DMX channel and uh, 
yeah, lit- literally fell out of the chair when I when I heard the boom. <laughs> your own timing literally knocked you out of your own chair. <laughs> yes, much to the amusement of everybody around me. What if sometimes that uh, the reason that they want to put it on there is just out of convenience or out of just trying to cut costs? They're like, hey, GIF can control this. Why don't I just give GIF control of all these things and then we don't have to hire another another programmer, another operator? In my experience on any on any show of any uh, of any substantial scale, that other qualified person is there anyway. They have to so yeah. let them control it on a live show, on a one off, on a yeah. They're going to do a better job and not fall out of their chair. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we've all learned that we forgot that we can't go into highlight because we're holding something up, or that is the the very real truth for as programmers now that we're not just running lighting we're actually it's a safety concern now some of the things that we're doing with moving scenery it's crazy what we do on fish with moving the the trusses around but the the safety element is handled by tate navigator and by the automation crew so from the lighting console we can ask the trusses to go anywhere we want and do any dumb thing we try to ask them to do but navigator is not going to let them move too quickly or at too steep of an angle or crash into each other or crash into the floor. And there's somebody backstage monitoring all that at the navigator console. And then there are two other spotters actually watching the trusses move through the air in case they see anything physically wrong. So we have all these multiple layers of safety that even though we have control at front of house, the end decision about if the trusses are moving and where they're moving to uh, is not up to the lighting console. I've heard uh, some other horror stories from other people with like say glow motion balls and stuff where they oh, just, man. just from zero to a hundred is the movement of the balls. And that's nice on the, on the lighting console because you can control the fades and the ups and the downs and you can even control the, how they slow down at the end. But at the same time, if you go into highlight, you, you're moving something 20 feet yeah. So it sounds like you've had a little better luck than some others of the, yes. the people I've heard from horror stories. Um, should build the fixture profile better so the highlight doesn't do that. Uh, if only there were more of you, GIF. What you're talking about is uh, the team viewer thing is going to become a very real opportunity in the future. It's going to be a, an actual uh, option. Are you finding that you're able to focus on stuff like that while you're at home? I should be more specific. Like, are you doing anything like that right now while you're at home? Are you still able to collect a paycheck for doing programming while at home on TeamViewer? Not at the moment, but that's very much been a part of my workflow on other projects in the in the past, collaborating with other people. Pro sports is a big part of my world now. Again, with Chris Corota, we have a few teams that we've worked with. And that's always a, a tremendous amount of time in previs to get all of that in there. You would be amazed at just the quantity of lighting cues there are to write for an NHL or an NBA team. And it takes us a while. And we figured out a, a really great system for doing it with both of us in our respective homes. I connect the, really? the Viz machine. I connect the Viz machine here to Skype. We uh, meet up at 10 a.m. on the dot every day, coffee in hand, share the, the Viz on the screen and then Chris is in Florida and I'm here in Pittsburgh and we'll put in long lighting guy hours uh, on a single Skype call every day working on all those cues. But then at the end of the day, we both get to go home to our, our families and we're at home and it saves the, the money and the inconvenience of having to 
get together in the same place and hotels and get a studio and whatever. And it, I'm telling you, we've been doing it for years and it works really well. Wow. There's got to be some people out here that realize that that is some next level programming right there. You guys are, you got, you're basically at the same console in different states. Yeah. Well, I mean, sharing the same Viz screen, it's only one console, Okay, but working on the same show from you know, many, okay. many, many miles away. Oh, okay. I, I guess I got that a little bit different because I, I thought that maybe he had a console and you had a console and you guys were in session. No, no, no. I share the, got uh, it. share the Viz screen on Skype. That's still, a, you're saving, you're saving flights. You're saving oh, yeah. time away from your family. That's actually a great question. What are you doing with your time at home? How are you spending your COVID-19 isolation time? Man, there's so many things I can say about that. I guess the first is that it, it didn't really hit me with the shockwave that, that got everybody else because I had already scheduled a like six-week chunk of time to be home intentionally by saying no to a gig that would have started almost at the exact same time that everybody got stuck at home. So it, it wasn't a, a huge surprise to me to be at home. So I think I went into it in good spirits. I've been trying to work on getting into a routine. It's a, a personal goal of mine, not a professional one per se, although I guess they're related, because I realized that for years and years and years of doing all these different kind of gigs in this business, I had no sort of internal clock, like sleeping for me was always really difficult. I, you know, you fly from one gig to another, sometimes halfway around the world, you don't go home. The, the schedule is very different if you're doing a corporate show where you might be expected to be behind the console at 6 a.m. Uh, than if you're on a rock and roll tour. And I really wanted to dedicate some time to getting into a routine, try to go to bed at the same hour every day, try to wake up at the same time every day. And that's worked out really well. And I don't think I've ever felt this good in my life. So um, I'm happy for that. Wow, that's huge. So what's, what's your bedtime these days? I'm actually trying to stay on my wife's schedule. She's a project manager at a big construction company, so she has to get up early. Try to go to bed around 10 p.m. with her, which for me is wow. ridiculously early, like ridiculously early. We usually start work at 10. I mean, it depends on the project too. You, you know that feeling when you're when you've done a show, and even if you're done at, let's say, midnight, there's absolutely no way you can just go back to the hotel and fall asleep. Like, you, you're still, you've still got that energy and adrenaline from doing the show. Yeah, we used to hang out in Vegas, and that's how, that was the majority of our relationship was the fact that we yeah. couldn't go to bed after the show. Exactly. I don't know if that's going to come back as soon as we're doing shows again, <laughs> and it's going to be hard to fall asleep again, but at least now I've I've proven to myself that I can do it. I can function like a quote unquote normal human being. You realize that somebody with an office job would look at what we do and think it's absolutely bonkers. Oh yeah. I'm usually going to, I'm usually going to, to bed when they're waking up and vice versa. Yeah. Have I ever told you my star rating system for hotels? No. Okay, so on the on the gift star rating scale, you get one star for basic standards of cleanliness and comfort. And then the only difference between one star and five is whether the blackout curtains actually black out all the sun, because chances are I'm still going to need to be sleeping after the sun came up. But if that's my only opportunity to catch an hour or two, I don't want to be interrupted by that little sliver of sunlight that perks you up and then you can't fall back to sleep. 
Those are very real concerns. If that <laughs> liver is too big, you, you Oh, you for me, the, the size doesn't matter. The tiniest little little sliver of light is enough to wake me up again. Yeah, it's that panic of like, oh my God, do I need to be somewhere? And then it's hard to fall back asleep. So, how much sleep do you normally get out on the when you're in a programming session or on the road? Oh, it totally depends on what the project is. Sometimes very, very little. And now, are you are you getting eight hours of sleep? At least seven. And you feel better. I feel better, and that's Chris. I'm telling you, it's the it's the first time in twenty years, really. That's big. It's huge. I I recommend I, everybody try it. And I don't again. I don't know how this is going to apply after we all get back to work, but for the meantime, it feels great. I wonder if there's something about our constant lack of sleep that keeps us just in a in a grumbly position sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I can go, I can go without sleep for three or four days, you know, without any major amounts of sleep. But after four or five days of of two, three hours of sleep, I I hit a wall where I'm either going to, I'm going to bite somebody's head off or throw a radio or something. Whereas, (laughs) you know, if we, if, if our work conditions were just a little bit less demanding we could go for weeks at a time. I'm wondering if, you, if you're really hitting on something here that uh, you're like, hey, you guys, I'm, I'm GIF and I know something about myself that I just discovered. I need seven hours of sleep. I don't know. I, 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 I try never to, to be grumpy when I haven't had a lot of sleep, although I, I'm sure I am. But I've actually had people tell me that some of my best ideas have come uh, when I've been the most sleep deprived. So it, it, and I think many of us have had that same experience. So maybe it's, it's part of the creative process as well. Maybe you're a natural cram artist where you, you're, you're <laughs> the best when under pressure. I think we all are. It's, it's human nature. Like they have to, in order to get gift to really dig deep, you got to lock him in a, in a cage for a while at the console and, wrap a shackle around his leg and make him sit there for, for 30 hours. You're right. We might be on to something with the, the actually trying to force ourselves into some kind of a respectable schedule when everything comes back. The irony to all this for me is, like I said, at the, at the beginning of being stuck home, I was planning on being home anyway. I scheduled it. It was the first time in my entire career that I, honest to God, just said no to a gig. And you've heard many people, I'm sure, explain that difficulty in saying no to something. Mm-hmm. It's a learned skill, something I sucked at forever. I was all proud of myself that I finally did it. I mean, we're obviously are concerned about missing out on the money. When's the next time we're going to have a big, long, dry spell? Maybe I, I really should be taking this right now. right? Mm-hmm. But you also can't push yourself 110% all of the time. And that's what I had been doing for years. And yeah. it's, it's like, and it's a different environment all the time. Like I think the additional stress of being with different people, like when you go from corporate shows to professional sports, to live music, to television, to architecture, and they're different environments. They're with different people. They're with different politics. And you've got to be on your toes and try to remember who everybody is that you maybe saw for one week last year. And uh, it, it does get overwhelming and we all I mean, manage it pretty well, but that's still no excuse. I think learning how to say no every once in a while is thing that that would, would all be well served to do. One of the really good representatives of that is you and, and, and myself as included, we made a, a big decision to leave Vegas and even LA for a smaller town, knowing full well that 
that means we're not going to get those last second jobs like, hey, GIF, it's 10, 10 p.m. right now and they're having problems down at Bellagio. Like, can you be down here in an hour? Right. You know, how do you... Well, that's where TeamViewer comes in now, right? What were, the, what were the factors that led to that decision for you saying, hey, I need to, I need to get out of Vegas slash LA and get to yeah. a central well, the location? The first, first step was getting out of uh, Vegas. I realized it was just a silly place to live if, at least for me, if most of my work wasn't there, I was traveling all the time, just like I do now, or did anyways. You need a place to come home to that's, that's like calm and comfortable. And when you come home to Las Vegas, there's always something going on there that you want to do, or there's always somebody in town. And because you're the yeah. local, you feel like you need to be the entertainer and take them out, show them around, be the tour guide. I was younger, so at that point, I didn't realize that I needed any sleep. It wasn't making me happy. So believe it or not, it was a conversation with Bob Gordon that I had about, you know, what were some other options in this world? What else should I do? And he suggested moving to LA, which I did for a short amount of time, only a couple of years. But between Vegas and LA, I met a lot of the people that are now instrumental to my career. In fact, most of the people that I, that I work with, I met in those places. So I think it's important to go where the work is happening, just so you can be surrounded by it and, and meet the people. Uh, speaking of people to meet, it was because I moved to LA that I met the woman who's now my wife. She's from Madrid. And she started talking about after we started dating, that she had her eyes on a, a specific master's degree program at Carnegie Mellon, which she described at the time uh, is in a little is a, a little university in a city called Pittsburgh, and wanted to know if I had ever heard of it. <laughs> well, that's I adorable. <laughs> I happened to have been born here, but she, she didn't know that. But I moved right after school and didn't really look back because I I didn't think that here in Pittsburgh was a place I could live and do the career that I wanted to do. Anyway, I, I told her if she got into CMU, I'd be happy to move back here with her. Uh, of course, she did get in, so I moved back. Now, I love living here. The city went through a bit of a renaissance while I was away. In fact, it's a pretty well-studied model for how a, a previously industrial city can reinvent itself. Some mm -hmm. publications have called it the most livable city in America. So we have all this access to art and culture and sports and, and, and now food. Pittsburgh's become a real culinary destination. I'm happy to come home here. I think that's the thing. I'm, it's a city I'm, I'm, I'm proud of and I genuinely look forward to coming home at the end of a gig. I love taking people out when they tour through here. If I happen to be home, there's always something I want to show them. My wife and I are building the, the house of our dreams here at the moment with a awesome view of the, the skyline and the rivers and the bridges that we probably wouldn't be able to afford in a city that is, you know, more traditionally where lighting industry folks are, are based. And, you know, we, uh, we all know that same adage of most of us can live anywhere with good access to an airport. Ended up being a great move for me. But again, it was important to spend time in the places with all the local gigs early in my career. So wouldn't trade that mm -hmm. for anything, but happy made the move back. Yeah, it's one of the things that we have to put to the test. Like, do I know enough people that I can live anywhere now? Will my yeah. clients still remember me if I'm out of sight, out of mind? Been fortunate so far that that's worked out. And 
we all continue to build our networks though. Every gig that we go to, you fly, you go to a gig, you meet somebody new. Uh, that person doesn't have to live in the city that you live in and, and maybe they'll hire you for something next uh, down the road. What I find amazing about this story is that it's actually technology and your knowledge of that technology that is actually setting you more free. It's your ability to team view and your ability to do all those things remotely that actually allows you the, the freedom to live wherever you want to live. But at the end of the day, we still have to, we still have to fly to the gigs. Eventually. Yeah. But I mean, but you used to have to fly two weeks before and sit at a console in a dark room with Chris. And now you can be at home for an extra two weeks uh, doing your or team view and your Skype yeah. and a monitor. Well, and the previous technology has gotten so much better too. That you got to remember that. That's liberating. But uh, in so many you ways, don't, you don't need a team of twenty people to hang a rig for you to set some light cues anymore. You can, by the time nope. you get to the twenty people, you're like, yeah, the show's already programmed. Uh, yeah, but there's the usual caveat that you know everybody talks about is uh, you've got to have your brain in the in the real space, even though you're looking at the at the video game on the green. Um, it's real easy to get carried away in previs with, with something that you, you need to have the foresight to know whether it, it's going to pay off or not when you actually go to do the show. Yeah, we put so much time and effort into the previs stuff that when we show up in real life and we, we realize that something isn't working at all, that we have to just completely abandon it. That, that, that's always tough when you've, you've put a week into building a look that just doesn't work in real life. Yeah. I'd imagine you've come across that a handful of times where you've actually really put some time and effort into a look only to realize that you have to completely abandon it. Yeah, it's sad, but you can't get too married to any one thing you've created in, in the industry we're in. Everything is much more fleeting than that. If you get, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, throw it away, don't look yeah. back, moving on. If we're still on the question of what I've been up to at home, I have kind of a doubt that's been in my mind for a little while about how I'm spending my time here. And I was wondering... Uh, if I can turn the tables for a second and ask you a question, if this is something that you've thought about or, or discussed with anybody else that's been on the podcast that, that I haven't heard yet, or maybe it's something interesting to talk about in the future, is how important do you think it is for us to be learning or improving skills that are really related but out of our wheelhouse, right? Because I've got a long list of stuff that I would love to learn how to do better, but I'm afraid or I guess maybe hopeful is the right word that we're all going to be back to work before I have time to tackle the whole list. And I'm talking about, you know, learning new, learning new <laughs> software, learning new, new skills. Right. And when we all get back together and we're doing shows again, do you really think there's going to all of a sudden be this cross pollination between skill sets or like if I all of a sudden were to become a cinema 4D master, like is, is that really something that I'm actually going to do or do I continue doing the very specialized things that I do well and the people that have already been very specialized in the other things continue doing the things that they have traditionally done very well. Question makes sense? That is a great question. I will never say a bad thing about learning a new thing. Uh, if you have the time to do it, you should absolutely do it. I never... The time is finite. So there's only so many things you can learn. And again, I, I'm hopeful that we'll all be back 
to work before I can get through the whole list. I don't think you have to get through the whole list. I never thought I would need to know GarageBand. In fact, five years ago, I deleted it off my computer because I didn't think I would ever use it because that's what, that's what sound people do. That's what my <laughs> wife does. She's a singer-songwriter. She, right. she needs it. Now, here we are in a whole new world, and my whole day, half my day is spent on GarageBand uh, editing <laughs> podcasts. You know, I used to hate uh, video conferencing. I hated Zoom because I was like, well, why would I want to Zoom with GIF? I should just fly to Pittsburgh and go see him. I rejected that until recently. I've had to learn so many things. And if I had uh, learned it before, I'd have been a little bit farther ahead of the game. And even, even if I didn't rely on it, if somebody else was to try and convince me that, no, you can't do a podcast on Zoom, I would know that you can. So same for you. Yeah. If, if somebody came to you with like, Hey, so cinema to 4d can't do that. And if you can sit there, yeah, like, you know enough to say, whether you're they're... lying to me. Right. I, I know you can, I know that you can, because I, I, I I'm not a cinema 4d master, but I know enough that you can pinch and you can, you know, the difference yeah, between yeah, a pinch yeah. and a zoom and a roll. But and I a... think that's already true for most of us. We have a, a basic knowledge of most of the related skills to we do for a living. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course, there's always value in, in going deeper. I don't know. It's just, it's something I've thought about in the, in the, how to prioritize things. Like you said, it's never, never bad to learn something new. Well, let's but get more are, specific. What's, what's on your list? There are personal things on my list that I, that I would oh. like to get to is no, just as ridiculous as finishing my photo organization project, which I've already oh spent thousands of hours on. It's crazy, but I've, oh. I've invested so much time in my life into this and it's still not quite where I want it to be yet and i don't think i'll ever have the free time to devote to something like that again we've got this which by the way now that i have spent some time on that and i suck at sharing any of the photos that i've so meticulously selected and edited uh in any sort of social media if you think i have photos of you from a gig we did together or of that gig or some trip we were on together whatever please reach out to me because i'd love to share them with you personally otherwise what's the point in having done all this work on them oh my god uh, photo organization is so time consuming now it is and it isn't i've gotten a process down but of yeah, course you, it, i'm it, sure you have a macro or something already no, that's one of those things you really got to look at every Facial image, decide whether you're going to keep it and then, and then clean it up as much as possible. But it's something I enjoy doing. Luthia and I are working on the design of our addition here. She's, she's also an architect, so I, I couldn't let her run with that on her own, uh, or I could be an integral part of that process. I think I would like to be more involved with it. I've actually been spending uh, most of my hours the past couple of weeks working on a, a fun little R&D project that hopefully everybody will get to see soon. It's industry related, but that wasn't on my list to begin with of skills that I wanted to do. And I get worried of like, am I taking away time from improving my own skill set to work on something else? But hey, it's a gig, so you can't argue with that either. Well, uh, sitting from the side of the monitor, I can tell you you're already leading the way in your, your console skill set. So you might be able to take a few days off and learn something else. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're safe. I think you're safe to try and learn some other things, uh, Cinema 4D or, or organizing photos. Oh, that was just 
that was just one one professional yeah. example I threw out there. If you want Although to learn disguise, be, I'm sure you have all the assets necessary to learn disguise. That's a great example of my original question is when we're finally doing shows again, is it ever going to be up to me to be the disguise guy and behind the lighting console? Probably not, right? Like once you get up to a certain scale of production, the people that are really specialized in the individual things are doing the individual things. There's not enough time mm-hmm. for one person to tackle all. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I did an article on that one and I, I, I have so much respect for the people that are so highly specialized in that one thing that, that they get to charge top dollar for it. But at the same time, uh, where's the money in that skill set right now? Oh, yeah, and this is all conversation about when we're all getting back together and yeah. doing gigs again. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I I wish I had a better answer. Maybe when we're all back to work, I can answer that one better. Because yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, and we'll look back at the podcast and go. They were talking about yeah. this. I'd like to think that we'll all be back to work in the next few months, and we can chew on the fat of that one. But uh, <laughs> I, I I hope it's not a year later that you and I are going back and like, oh man, we still know the answer to that one. That is a great place to end this one. We'll we'll have to sit and chew the fat on that one. Thank you so much for taking the time, Gift. This is great. I really miss being able to sit behind you watching you work instead of sitting through a, a computer. Oh man, watching you're you always welcome. And thank you for thank doing you so these. Much. Like I said, I've really enjoyed tuning in. I hope everyone else out there stays happy and healthy and uh we'll see each other soon enough hopefully on a gig